This episode is a conversation with Josh Como. Josh is the creator of CSS for JavaScript developers, an interactive course that helps JavaScript developers become confident with CSS. Josh has worked as a senior engineer for organizations like Khan Academy, DigitalOcean, and Gatsby, as well as taught for journey education, developing curriculum, and leading web development courses at Concordia University. Josh and I talk about his new course, CSS for JavaScript developers. We talk about why so many find CSS hard to learn and how to learn CSS. We also talk about what Josh has learned from launching his first online course. Hope you enjoy the episode. Josh, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So if we go to your course site, css4js.dev, the tagline of stop wrestling with CSS, that really resonates with me. And it's one of the reasons why I bought the course, because for me, whenever I encounter CSS, I find myself wrestling with it. And I think this is a very common experience for most developers. And it's so common that we even see jokes about it all over Twitter, right? Um, we're so commonly struggling with CSS and we're trying to avoid it. So I wanted to start off by asking you, like, why is it that CSS is so frustrating uh, for so many developers? What is it about it? <laughs> yeah, I have a theory about this. <clears throat> and my theory goes that, you know, when we write JavaScript, we have this immediate feedback loop and TypeScript is even better, right? You make a mistake and you get like a tooltip that says, hey, uh, it looks like you're passing this, you're passing a number to this function when you meant to pass a string. It can intuit what you were trying to do and point you in the right direction. Whereas with CSS, there's no error messages, right? So often the property won't do anything or it'll do a thing you weren't expecting. Like you put position absolute on something and it sticks it to the top of this container instead of the top of the window. And there's not really any sort of like next step other than just Googling like what the heck is up with position absolute. <laughs> so it's, it's, I think it's the feedback. It's the fact that you can use this language over and over again and still not just automatically get those gaps filled because there's not always a clear resolution when you make a mistake. Either you copy paste a snippet that fixes it, but you don't really understand why, or you just like you change the design because you can't get it to do what you want it to do. And so I feel like, like for myself, I spent so long practicing with CSS and getting better. Like, I don't mean to say that it was, I was just spinning my wheels, but without ever reaching like that deep level of proficiency where everything just starts clicking and it's like, okay, yeah, like I understand exactly what the browser is doing and why things are winding up how they are. So I know you've talked about this before. So you used to feel pretty shaky about CSS. How did you go from feeling, you know, so shaky on CSS to feeling really confident uh, writing CSS? What was that process like? Yeah, so there was actually, and you know, in my mind, I romanticize it as like a specific moment in time, but really it was more gradual than that, where I just kind of realized that I wanted to, like, you know, I wanted this part of my job that I didn't like to become better. And so a lot of that was just being more intentional. So like when I would run into something that didn't make sense, rather than like copy pasting a, a Stack Overflow snippet or just deciding not to do it, I would take like half an hour and just see if I could figure out why it was doing the thing that it was doing. And the way that I would do that is I would read MDN documentation. That was like usually my go-to place. Or it's like I would ask questions uh, just to uh, either on Twitter or to people that I knew. Um, rarely I would dip into the CSS specification. And I've actually discovered that the specs are surprisingly accessible. Like whenever I read specs for other languages, it's always just way over my head. But for, for whatever reason, the, the people who write the CSS specifications do an amazing job. And like you can actually read like the Flexbox spec and come away with a really deep understanding of how Flexbox works, which is really cool. Um, so it was like lots of like 
half an hour here, half an hour there, uh, over the course of like many years, <laughs> it definitely took a while. And honestly, when I started working on this course, like in summer last year, I went into this course after having done this for a few years and thinking like, yeah, I know CSS. Like I, I have now like transcended to the level of understanding CSS only to realize while creating the course that I still had all these gaps that I hadn't really realized. So it's definitely, and honestly, I suspect in a year from now, I will look back at my current knowledge and realize how many gaps I had. So it's a never, it's a nonstop <laughs> learning experience. But uh, yeah, essentially just a matter of like being intentional and taking the time to dig deeper into things when they don't make sense. Because honestly, they do make sense. It's just usually there's a missing piece where it doesn't make sense. You know, it's like if you're trying to understand anything and there's some piece missing, you can kind of guess at how it should work, but it's always going to seem unpredictable and inconsistent. It's just there's a missing piece there. Definitely. So what has it been like to go from, you know, feeling shaky on CSS to actually feeling confident writing CSS? Like how did this change your career or even just your experience building applications? Yeah, so I, I, it's tricky because I, I want to be honest, but I also don't want it to sound like I don't want to like hype it up too much. But honestly, it has been pretty significant where it's just it's nice to be able to stay in flow, right? Like where you're working on a thing and I don't have the same fear that I'm going to be derailed by some random CSS property that isn't doing what I expect. And like to be clear, I still have moments where CSS does what I don't expect. Like I don't mean to say this, like I have never experienced any sort of confusion with CSS. But I have like a tool set in place now where I can usually figure out pretty quickly what's going on. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it, it's so much nicer to not have that underlying sense of stress and doom and like foreboding of this, this collection of properties could collapse under its own weight at any moment. Um, yeah. And in terms of like jobs and stuff, I, I wrote about this recently in a blog post, but it's, it's easy to get the impression that when it comes to hunting for jobs, especially like in the modern JS ecosystem, like for React developers and Vue developers, it's easy to think that those are the only skills that are tested or that employers care about. And while they are super important, and I think probably fair to say the primary thing that employers test for, CSS actually like really can help you in your career and in your job hunt. And I think back to the last two jobs that I've had, which is at Gatsby and at DigitalOcean. And in both of those cases, like the interview process or the take-home projects had elements of CSS. Like at Gatsby, I had to build a modal. And uh, both with CSS and with accessibility, those two things, I think, are what made my modal stand out. Because anyone applying to work at Gatsby is going to have pretty solid JavaScript skills because it's a JavaScript framework. And I think that, yeah, just having the CSS piece as well really helped me stand out in that process. Yeah, and it's interesting as you're saying that, I'm just thinking that there are so many amazing different tutorials about JavaScript and React and then... There is this very common struggle with CSS, and it does feel like it's this problem that we're not really fixing, right? Where so many of us um, maybe struggle with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I also loved what you said about how, you know, you can't outrun CSS. So we're going to be <clears> using <throat> it for so long in our careers. And yet it's kind of just this thing. Um, I know for me that we kind of try to avoid if possible, right? Um, and thinking about that, it just seems like it would be so much less stressful over time to actually, you know, truly learn CSS and get good at it and start figuring out how it works. Um, not just for your job and career opportunity, right? But for like a less stressful experience, like you said, just being in the flow more. Yeah, I mean, I have this theory that there are so many tools that exist and a lot of these tools are really cool. And I please don't like interpret this as me throwing shade on any tools, but I think a lot of the temptation to use those tools, and it could be bootstrap, 
a tailwind to a certain extent, although not quite as much. But I think the idea is by using this level of abstraction over CSS, I will I will face less pain when it comes to CSS, right? Especially if you use something like Material UI with React, where it gives you a bunch of components that come pre-styled. And the idea is, okay, I never have to worry about CSS because these components do it all for me. And that's like a really nice idea, but it doesn't usually work that way. At least that's not been my experience and the experience with students that I've taught, where you're never going to have a full set of components that do everything you want for your app. You're going to have to like add your own components to this library, and or you're going to have to modify the existing components because it doesn't fit the design that you have in mind. Right? You have a masthead that has a space for a button, but you actually want to put a search input in there, and it doesn't quite work. And you don't have the little icon that you, like. There's all kinds of little places where you will need to rely on those CSS skills. And I think a lot of these libraries actually make it harder, at least before you've developed like that kind of comfort with it, just because when you do have to make a change, you know, like it, it's when you have the blank canvas of naked HTML elements, you can add whatever you want to them. When you have a pre-styled component, first of all, you have to figure out how do I even get the CSS that I want onto the particular element that I want, because maybe it's like the component has a few elements and you, it's not clear how to target it. Um, but then it's like, how do I make this style that I want ex like coexist with the styles that are already on this component? And often it's, a, it's like a big mess of like, hey, I have, you know, I want to add this thing, but when I add this thing, it breaks because it's, you know, maybe it's position absolute. And so I want to shift it over. So, you know, I'm actually struggling to come up with a great example, <laughs> but I've totally seen that over and over again, where the process of trying to overwrite an existing style is so much more work than it would just be to write that component from scratch. At least that's like, you know, I, I actually, I wrote a, a, or it was a newsletter about this and I heard from a bunch of people. And the thing that I heard that actually kind of surprised me is it's the people that do have a certain level of comfort with CSS that actually seem to get the most out of these tools. Uh, just because if you, if you do have both familiarity with the tool and with CSS, you can kind of use both of those together where it does save you some time for writing CSS but you are able to kind of step in as necessary. But it seems like a more advanced thing to me rather than a thing that beginners should do as a way to avoid writing CSS or not necessarily beginners, but you know, people that don't yet have that level of comfort. Yeah, that's interesting because I have seen a lot of these tools kind of sold as, hey, you'll never have to, I guess, touch actual CSS, right? Um, <clears throat> and you can just use this tool as your kind of band-aid over it. So it's interesting to hear that Actually, if you if you have a better understanding of CSS, then you're going to benefit from these tools more. Yeah, and actually, I would just say on top of that, that no matter what kind of tool you have, whether it's something like Material UI or even if it's SAS uh, or anything, right? Like, I think when it comes to JavaScript, we're more and more now, or not just JavaScript, but like other front end languages, like with the advent of WebAssembly, it is it will soon be possible to build something. Actually, it's already possible. It's just not super mainstream to build something like powerful without actually ever having to write JavaScript. But we don't have like a WebAssembly for styles. Like CSS is the only game in town. Like if you want to style something, even if the styles that you write are in some other like level of abstraction, some other tool, when you have to debug what's happening in the browser, <laughs> like you're going to have to pop open the elements pane and see what CSS is there and make sense of that. So like at runtime, it's always CSS, no matter what you use to write CSS. So I want to shift more to talking about the course itself. Can you give me just an overview of the course and what's in it? Yeah. So um, I should say, first of all, that the course is in early access. And what that means is it's like a work in progress. It's sort of like a beta. Uh, I've stolen the terminology from Steam because uh, the Steam video game store has this idea that 
video game publishers or creators can kind of you know sell their game before it's fully done and uh, i really like this idea because you get to incorporate the feedback that people have um so as it exists right now there are five modules including module zero which is sort of a uh, fundamentals recap plus like other cool tidbits that uh, i'm discovering are actually like pretty neat and people are uh, really enjoying um but it's 10 modules planned five of them available today and it kind of goes through all of the different systems in css and how they work and uh yeah it's, it's really meant to be like a comprehensive guide to getting any sort of layout done. And there is, like, I think because so much of the work that I've done has been around animations and like little details and stuff, there's definitely some of that, uh, especially the last couple modules I'm really excited to work on because they are going to be all about animation and like those kinds of small details that really make a product feel polished. But for the most part, it's like there's a module on Flexbox, there will be a module on Grid, a module on flow layout and using block and inline elements, a module on positioned layouts and all of the stuff you can do with absolute and relative and sticky and fixed. Um, essentially, it's just like it's everything I use in my day-to-day -day life as a developer building you know, relatively sophisticated things with CSS in the context of a modern JavaScript application. And I think that's something that I haven't done a great job <laughs> making clear, that it really is meant for people that use either React or Vue or Angular any sort of modern JavaScript framework that is based on the idea of components, because, uh, you know, that's like something I noticed was really missing is a lot of the really great resources that people recommend for CSS are still kind of written in the context of documents, right? So you have a style sheet that target a document. They're not really meant to be used in the context of uh, components. And while the underlying CSS mechanics don't change, the way that you use it actually does change a fair bit. And one good example of this, is the cascade, right? Like the idea with the cascade is that you can apply multiple selectors. Uh, you can target the same element using multiple selectors. So uh, an example might be, I have a style that affects all anchor tags, so any A tag, but then I also have a style that affects like dot navlink, so elements with the navlink class. And the idea is that because navlink is a more specific selector, those styles will be applied. When you're using like document-based CSS, it's super common that a single element might have like four or five different places that styles are being applied. And the rules for which styles apply when become super important because you want to make sure that you're leaving yourself a bit of space to overwrite them without like reaching for uh, exclamation important, which is like, you know, the nuclear option. When it comes to writing CSS in a React application or in any sort of modern JavaScript framework application, I don't find I run into these problems because usually the styles are scoped to the component and the only CSS in the entire application, there's usually two places, right? There's like your global styles, which are the baseline resets, your CSS resets, your like paragraph styles, your anchor styles. And then there's all the CSS that is specific to this component. So uh, <laughs> I'm realizing this is becoming more long-winded than I had anticipated. Um, but essentially just, yeah, it's, it's CSS from the context of a modern JavaScript developer. It's still all the same CSS mechanics, right? I think 85, maybe not that much, maybe like 75, 80% of the material doesn't actually have anything to do with JavaScript frameworks, but that last 25% of how you use it and specifically like what we choose not to cover, um, it, it's really kind of tailored for people using these kinds of frameworks. I wanna talk a little bit more about that. What is the experience level for the course, right? So maybe you have been, you know, using these kinds of frameworks, but you're a bit newer. Um, is it still beneficial to take the course or what is the kind of level of the yeah. person? 
It's a great question and one that I wish I had like a very clear answer to. <laughs> I will say that um, when I started working on this course, uh, and you actually you mentioned this in uh, the intro, which I appreciate. Um, I've been teaching at Concordia University for the past couple of years. I helped develop some of the curriculum and I've been teaching like, you know, boot camp students, essentially. I've been doing the part-time program, which runs over the course of eight months, but it's comparable to the typical like 10 to 12 week full-time boot camps that uh, have become pretty popular over the past few years. And all of my early test students were recent graduates of the program that I taught. I did this because I, I already had a rapport with these students and I thought it would be good both for them and for me to be able to like iterate on feedback and just see what they think. And, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, I needed some test users and I already knew these people and they were in the perfect position as far as I could see, because that was kind of the original goal is it's not meant for absolute beginners, right? People that have never written CSS. Um, it's also not meant for people that have like, uh, zero experience with JavaScript frameworks. Even if you have like a good amount of experience, like with WordPress, for example, so in terms of experience level, the minimum, I would say, is recent bootcamp grad, you know, recent CS grad uh, that has worked a bit with JavaScript and CSS kind of on their own projects, since I still don't think that's super taught in CS uh, programs, um, like junior devs at their first or second job. Like, I would say that's like the, the earlier end. In terms of the, like, how experienced is too experienced, I do think that, you know, the more experience you have, the less you can expect to learn from it. But I've actually heard from quite a few people this week people that have like 10, 15 years of experience with CSS who are still saying, oh, like, wow, I learned a whole lot uh, during this. So I do think that like, no matter how much experience you have, you're still likely to get quite a bit out of it. But I will say that yeah, it's, it, the target is people earlier in their careers. Um, yeah, I'd say like junior intermediate is the target with a little bit of that. Like if you have more experience and ultimately, like, like I mentioned, right? Like I had been working, doing web development for like a decade. And I was still very much, I would say, a novice when it came to CSS in that I was able to get things done, but I wasn't like confident with those things. So I mean, that's maybe the better lens to view it through is how confident are you with CSS and do you have enough experience just with the syntax and the, the fundamentals? You know, if I, if I give you a snippet of CSS that colors all paragraphs red, can you understand what that does? And then do you have at least some experience with component frameworks? And with that, it's really not, um, you know, like it's, Actually, here's something I'd like to mention too, which is uh, the course does not assume any React experience, but the course does use React. And the, the way that I've kind of squared that circle is all of the React stuff will come preloaded in terms of state and hooks and all, like all of that like hard React stuff. You don't have to touch any of that. The only thing you have to do is learn how to read JSX and learn how to modify JSX. And I have a lesson specifically for that for people that have never touched React. Um, but if you've never touched any sort of component framework, I don't really go over the idea of components and how props work, right? Like, so there is still some experience assumed and, uh, some benefit if you've at least spent like a couple of weeks or a couple of months with these tools. So you touched on this a little bit already, but I wanted to ask you more on, you know, why you decided to create the course. Yeah. Um, and so. There is actually like kind of a long backstory that I'll, I'll try to do the Cliff Notes version of, uh, which is I've, I've liked the idea of education for a long time, right? I worked at Khan Academy, I've been teaching at Concordia, and I always had it in my mind that the like idea of creating my own online course seemed like a whole lot of fun. Like I would see what Wes Boss would do and Ken C. Dodds and like a whole bunch of others. And it seemed like a really fun path to go down, but I never really had... You know, like I, I was working as a senior engineer and I was enjoying the work that I was doing. The money was good. So I didn't have any sort of like rush. Like it just seemed like 
at some point in the future, that would be fun. Um, and then in early 2020, like the spring of 2020, right around the time that lockdown started, um, I developed a repetitive stress injury in my left arm, and it soon spread to my right. And very quickly, I found myself not able to use a keyboard or a mouse. And like as you might imagine, this was a pretty stressful thing because so much of my work involves <laughs> using a keyboard and mouse. So uh, I did eventually, like, you know, I took a few months where I really just wasn't using a computer at all. Um, then a coworker of mine suggested that, well, there's got to be, like, you know, accessibility solutions for this. And I discovered that, indeed, uh, dictation has come a long way. Uh, so I got myself a microphone. I also bought an eye tracker that like tracks where my eyes are looking so I can, with making a popping sound with my mouth, click, which is super cool. Um, and essentially I was able to learn how to be productive using a microphone and an eye tracker and nothing else on my desk, which is, uh, still it's like such a cool science fiction thing. Um, but that experience gave me this idea that, you know, I don't actually have unlimited time to do this stuff. Like I shouldn't assume that I have an unlimited amount of work output in my future. And the sort of, uh, not to be too dark, but I had this idea of like, by the end of my life, I will have pressed a certain number of times on the keyboard. Let's say it's like 100 million. I have 100 million key presses left in my life. And that is like a resource that I should be spending on things that I really want to be pursuing. <laughs> so I know it's kind of a strange way to look at it. But uh, and ultimately, I, uh, being, you know, uh, ultimately, I had a relatively minor condition that has almost entirely resolved. Um, so it was really just more of like a context shift of, oh, you know, if I, if I have this thing I want to do, and if I have, and I did it, I have the privilege to be able to do it. I had enough savings that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't needing to keep working for the, the immediate paycheck. Um, yeah, it just seemed like, why don't I do this thing that seems like fun? Um, to answer the question, because I think you asked why, I'm, why I chose the CSS course. Um, really, that was just a matter of I knew I wanted to do something, and I wanted it to be something relatively high impact, right? Um, I have more experience teaching React than anything else. But there's already so many great learning resources for React. And I also wonder, you know, with WebAssembly included, who knows if we're going to be writing React in 5 or 10 or 15 years. I have more confidence that we will be writing CSS for a long time to come. I don't see anything that's, like, threatening to replace it. So it really was like, yeah, what is the thing I can teach that will be most impactful and meaningful to people? What's the thing that, you know, in a decade from now, if people are still writing code, is still kind of giving them a little bit of a boost day to day? And for that, CSS just seemed like, oh, like, that's obvious. <laughs> that's what I should do. Yeah, I think it's incredible that you kind of faced this obstacle and you turned it around into something positive. And then it also made you think, you know, what should I really be doing with my life? I want to ask you more on, I think there are a lot of people who are interested in getting into teaching or launching their own course. Um, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, oh, this is a great question. Um, one of the like silver linings of my situation is that I couldn't, for those few months before I really got the hang of the dictation, couldn't use a computer and I had all this free time on my hands. So I spent a lot of that time reading books and well, actually to be more accurate, listening to audiobooks um, and podcasts and just essentially like trying to figure out how I would actually do this thing. And the first, one of the first books that I read was called Launch by Jeff Walker. And I, I, I should say up front. It's like a very internet marketing sleazy kind of book. <laughs> like I, I very much did not just take this book and implement it uh, verbatim. But one of the ideas that this book stresses is kind of just like the idea of building an audience. Like essentially, if you're going to have success selling something, you really want to start by having a bunch of people that really benefit from the work that you do. And I had already kind of just, you know, I've had a blog that I've been working on for a couple of years now. Um, so that was really just like the idea was, oh, and it makes total sense, like in retrospect, especially that 
if you have, uh, like, if you sell a course, you need people to know that that course exists. And it helps if they can trust that you're good at what you do and you're good at teaching people things. So I think the blog was a really important step in that because people could read the blog post. In fact, a lot of the blog posts were just like, I took stuff from the course, repackaged it a little bit and published it as a blog post so that people could really see like, hey, this is what you'll learn in this course. Um, so that was, I think, really, really important, which was just to not just focus on building a thing to sell, but to start by making sure that you have like built up a bit of not just goodwill, but also like evidence that you're good at what you're doing and uh, yeah, just building things that are helpful to people. Um, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I wanted to mention for this, but yeah, I think I'll, <laughs> if anything comes back to me, I'll mention it later, but that's, I think that was the biggest thing. I've heard a lot of people who want to do just that, what you said, right? Maybe they want to get started uh, blogging about React or CSS, but uh, the common thing I hear is, well, there are already so many resources out there. What would you say to someone who, you know, wants to get started blogging about a topic, but they're kind of stuck on this, well, you know, so many other people have already written this tutorial or made this course. What would you say to them? So the first thing is, like, it may feel like we are oversaturated and there is too, like, for most topics, right, it's going to be hard to have a unique source of information where, like, hey, there if you Google for this problem, there are zero results and now there will be one result. <laughs> like, it's true that it's oversaturated in that sense. But it's absolutely like there is so much room for more content out there, in part because people like the same explanation or the same content can be explained in many different ways and different explanations resonate with different people. So like and a good example is I recently published a blog post that was an introduction to CSS transitions. And like there have got to be thousands <laughs> of blog posts that are introduction to CSS transitions. Um, so I wasn't setting out to break new ground with that. It was just a matter of I had a, what I thought was a pretty good way of teaching that thing. Um, so that's, I think, the biggest thing is don't let uh, the fact that content already exists stop you from creating your own. Because, well, actually, the one, first thing is that, like, not all explanations. Like, your explanation might be the best explanation, right? Someone might have found two or three resources before yours, and yours was the one that really made it click for them. But it's also just, like, we don't have perfect distribution of things, right? So... Even if like you've found that this thing exists a lot, there will definitely be people when you share your blog post that will not have seen this before. And maybe it's a problem that they've had that they've never thought to Google for. Uh, and it's just this eye-opening moment for them of like, oh yeah, that's why that thing keeps happening that I keep getting frustrated by but haven't been bothered to look into. Um, so I think that's like, don't let the fact that your content might not be covering a unique subject. Uh, I will also say that like maybe related to this, is I, when I've spoken to people, it's just they don't know how to get traction, right? Like they started writing stuff. It doesn't seem like they have a lot of traffic. It doesn't seem like they're able to break through. And I think maybe people assume it's because they don't have that, uh, they don't have unique enough content. I think it's actually more that it just takes a long time. <laughs> like I, I had forgotten about it. Well, not forgotten, but I hadn't realized how much time I had spent blogging on Medium until it came up when I was chatting with Monica from Blogging for Devs a while ago. Um, where like I published only like 80 or 90 blog posts on Medium that I just have totally forgotten about. <laughs> that most of them have like 15, 20 views. <laughs> like they were not popular and they weren't very good, honestly. Um, it just you know it took a long time for people to start noticing what I was doing, and I think that's actually kind of a good thing. Like 
you want to start small because you don't want the pressure of like, if I write this thing and thousands of people see it, like you're going to have a really high bar for what you allow yourself to publish in that case. At least that's how I saw it. Right. When I was starting, there was almost like a freedom of like, I'm going to publish this thing and three of my friends are going to see it. And that's about it. And that kind of, uh, the, and part, like the fact that I didn't have to spend so long on every post, I was just able to like write my thoughts out and publish it because I knew it wasn't going to be seen by a huge amount of people. Uh, that's how I like developed the skill of writing blog posts that people actively want to share and that do get that sort of traction going. Yeah, definitely. I actually yeah. heard you on the change log, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, and <clears> this was in December, 2020, and you were talking about this course launch that is happening right now. Um, and yep. one of the things you said was, you know, it might fail and it might not do well. You know, the course is launched now. And from what I've seen from your Twitter and so many people's positive reactions, you know, the launch has been such a success. So can you tell me more on, on what's that like kind of going from you weren't sure how it was going to do necessarily to, you know, this awesome successful launch? What has this been like? Yeah, overwhelming <laughs> is the main thing. Um, it was interesting, right? Because I went into this week thinking that if I could sell a couple, like 390, I think was my target. And I, I worked that out backwards because that would be about $50,000 worth. So I thought like that would be, you know, the validation that I need and the income that I would need to sustain the development of the rest of this course. And it hit that in like the first 10 minutes, <laughs> which was totally wild to me and very much not something I anticipated. But around that same time, I started getting these emails of like, hey, so I purchased the course, I got a seat. Uh, but what now? Like, I'm not getting any sort of like login information. And so I started looking into it and indeed these people didn't have uh, an account created. So I created an account for them. Uh, not sure why they didn't have one, sent them the login instructions, checked my email and I had three or four more people with the same problem, <laughs> which, uh, very quickly became clear to me that I will not be able to solve this problem for these people in the pace that I would need. Right. Um, so I spent a good chunk of that day hunting down and fixing the problem. It turns out that payment processing is wildly complicated and the merchant that I use has like dozens of different payment methods all over the world. And some of them have a different flow that I hadn't anticipated. So I found the problem, fixed the problem, but then I had like literally hundreds of support emails uh, from people having trouble. So the first two days I was spending just dealing with that and uh, just really stressed, <laughs> like trying to make sure that people had a good experience and feeling awful that a lot of people didn't. And trying to like that, that was the biggest issue, but there were a couple others. Uh, it would also remind me to talk about coupons because I have a lot to say about coupons. <laughs> but um, once I kind of by the weekend, I had caught up with support emails and I had gotten to a point where I felt pretty good about like I was getting back to people within like a couple of hours if they emailed me while I was awake, um, where I was able to just realize like, holy cow, like this has done wildly better than I was expecting. I think it's about 3,500 people have purchased it now. Um, which again, I was hoping for 390. So by the time it closes tomorrow, it'll probably be more than 10 times the, the goal I had hit uh, or I said rather, which, yeah, I mean, honestly, I still haven't finished processing it because it's wild. And, uh, there, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's incredibly gratifying. It's, it's great to know that the thing that I was building is actively in demand. And, and you mentioned earlier, the testimonials on Twitter, like seeing that it's actually helping people <laughs> is another really cool thing because, you know, the sales alone, uh, those are kind of the, the blind faith of people saying, you know, I, I like your content. I like your blog posts. Like, let me see what you have to say on this. But honestly, I was worried that like, I've never done an online course before. I've done hundreds of blog posts now, maybe not hundreds, probably like 150, 200, um, but a lot. <laughs> and 
gotten good at that through repetition. I, this is my first course, so uh, I didn't know how many of those skills would transfer and how much it would actually be. Like, I, you know, I, I definitely tried to make it good, and I, I do think that it's good. But it w- it's certainly been really validating to know that it's uh, going, you know, it's helping people, and it's uh, doing what I, I hoped it would, which is giving people the confidence with CSS. So yeah, it's been it's been very like roller coastery, but overall it's uh, it's an incredibly privileged privileged position to be in, and uh, I'm I'm very happy with how it's gone. Definitely, and you said coupons. Was there coupon issues? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So the day before the launch, uh, I had I have three different email lists, and one of the email lists is people that have specifically signed up for the wait list, right? So people that had seen the landing page before it was on sale and put their email address in, and I thought you know it would be fun. I'm going to create a coupon called Early Bird. I'm going to send that the night before. I kind of I put it in like the PS of the email, so it was like kind of hard to find. And I said the first 50 people that use this will get $20 off. And I thought that's fine, right? It'll get people a bit of a discount. Um, that coupon got used up in like less than 90 seconds. <laughs> like I launched the course at 9:59 a.m. and by 10:01 those coupons were gone. And for a whole bunch of people, like 30 or 40 people, they had the experience of putting in the coupon, seeing that it was accepted finishing the checkout and then discovering on their invoice that the coupon hadn't been applied. And the reason for that was when they put the coupon in, there were still slots available, but by the time they checked out, those slots had been consumed. Um, so obviously those people <laughs> wanted that coupon applied and it very, very much uh, understood. I did apply it to everyone. Uh, anyone that reached out and even a couple of people that I was able to like deduce uh, by the email list that they joined and the time that they ordered, um, I was able to just apply it uh, without them having to reach out. Um, but yeah, that was obviously not a good experience for people, and it was happening while everything else was like blowing up. Um, there were just a lot of other people that went to buy it at 10:01 a.m., especially because I sent a launch email. But you know, the email was scheduled for 10. Some people didn't get it until 10:03. The moment they got the email, they clicked the link, they tried to put the coupon code in, and it said it had been used up. So a bunch of people either thought that was a bug or just thought that it was like something fishy going on. Like just people didn't accept that like it was actually valid. And then yet other people were just like, well, you know, the course launches at 10 a.m. Eastern, but that's the middle of the night in Asia and Australia. So it doesn't seem fair that, like, they didn't have the same chance to, to go for this coupon. So, like, those three things combined have taught me that I am never doing <laughs> coupons again, at least not, like, limited use ones. Because, my goodness, the amount of trouble these coupons gave me and the amount of, like, distress they caused people is so much greater than the benefit of the people that use them without issue. At least that's how I'm seeing it now. Maybe it, uh, maybe it really did help the people that were able to use it. But uh, yeah, it's just it. It's it occurs to me that I really should have picked a bigger number because maybe that was the biggest lesson: is that 50 coupons uh, just go too fast, and it, it ultimately just caused a lot of uh, unnecessary trouble. Yeah, that sounds hectic. <laughs> um, but the next thing I want to talk about a little bit more is what are you working on next, and and what's what's up next for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, so the most immediate thing, right, is uh, finishing this course because I still have quite a bit of work to do on it. I also have quite a bit of work to do on the platform um, and also just like the processes. Like the, one of the clear things about this launch to me has been that the next time I do this, I am going to have at least one support person. <laughs> so that it's not just like me that is simultaneously fixing the bugs and trying to keep people informed that I'm fixing the bugs. Um, and to do that, I need to like, use a, a ticketing system rather than have everything go to my email. Um, I also need to support like group purchases and uh, administration stuff for people that want to buy group plans. Like there's a lot of like stuff that is missing because it's, you know, it's early access. So I expect that 
the rest of 2021 is going to be spent on this course and the processes around that. But next year, 2022, I hope to start another course. At least that's how I'm currently thinking about it. And I'm not yet decided. I, I definitely think that I want to focus on stuff that I think I am uniquely qualified to teach. And the two things that come to mind right away, one is animation and interaction and just like detail stuff and whimsy stuff, right? SVGs. There's a lot of like these little interesting things that I do. But uh, honestly, I think a lot of people may be disappointed to learn are not in this current course, at least not in as much depth. Um, so that's something that I think would be fun. I also really like the idea of doing a design course, which is a little bit ironic because I don't consider myself a designer, but I've been designing things for long enough now that I've learned quite a lot about it. And I do think that uh, when I look at the other resources that exist, um, like there's definitely space, I think, for the kind of thing I want to do, which is just do like projects where I can help people like develop a bit of that design and intuition and just become confident enough with it that they can design their own stuff without feeling like, like just create professional looking things without having to like go super deep into that, uh, to developing design skills. So I'm excited about both of those ideas and I don't yet know <laughs> what I'll do next, but either way, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Very excited for whatever it will be. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. And for anyone who is interested in taking your course or learning more about you, can you tell us real quick where to find you? Yes. So um, if you'd like to learn more about me, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh W. Como. My last name is spelled C-O-M-E-A-U at css4js.dev. So it's it's like a play on CSS in JS. So it's like css-for-js.dev. Fantastic.